Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the Snyder Cut. I am your, I don't know, exhausted, heartbroken host, Jeff Snyder. Uh, But I'm here, I am in action, coming at you from Needham, Massachusetts. I flew back last night on on JetBlue, took a cross-country flight. It was cheap getting here, but of course, you know, between the bag fees and and there were no Ubers last night at at the Boston airport. I had to call, you know, a cab that's twice as expensive. It's ridiculous. But I'm home. I'm with the family. I'm safe. I'm in quarantine for two weeks again. And we have got a lot to talk about today, starting with the Snyder Cut. It's real. It's happening, people. Coming to HBO Max sometime in 2021. Jesus, what a saga it has been for Justice League, for these Snyder Cutters. Is there a name for them? Do they have, does this movement have some some sort of name? Um, God, where to begin? I mean, (laughs) this all went down during a Man of Steel watch party. That's where they decided to do it. Uh, You know, Zack Snyder's a man of the people. He likes to go direct to the audience. Uh, the the reaction that I saw in the wake of this announcement, I mean, God, I think, you know, Collider, we had five or six articles on it uh, ourselves. Um, thankfully, I didn't have to write any of them. Um, yeah, where do you even begin with this? Like, well, let's start, I, you know, I want to start with uh, Sean O'Connell, who, who I think runs Cinema Blend. Um, good guy, not singling him out here. I just, you know, I saw his tweet. He's writing a book on this and good for him. Um, but, you know, his tweet stood out, and, and he quoted all these things that we've all heard uh, over the last couple of years. It doesn't exist. It's never coming out. It's so terrible, it should never be released. They won't give him the money. My sources tell me. <laughs> I'd love to respond to these one by one. It doesn't exist. It didn't exist. It doesn't exist right now. It's not real. As of this minute, it's not real. That's why they're giving him 20 to $30 million to go finish it. It's the snowball analogy for me. If I take snow and I roll it into a ball to build a snowman, and I have the first ball, so I'm, you know, at the bottom of the snowman, and then I stop, I have a ball of snow. I don't have a movie. I don't have a snowman. I just have a ball of snow. And that's what Zack Snyder had. He just had this ball of footage. It's, it was never releasable, which is why he needed 20 to 30 extra million dollars to go finish it. So it doesn't exist. Is an accurate thing. It doesn't exist. It, it was a, a, a work in progress, not a work that could be shown to anybody. I mean, 20 to 30 million dollars, that could... <laughs> that funds... Uh, 30 uh, Clerks movies or 100 Clerks movies or Blair Witch or, you know, anything. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. HBO Max could have made six of those movies for, for $30 million. It's never coming out and they won't give him the money and things like that. 
it was never coming out before there was this thing called HBO Max. It was never coming out before this thing called the coronavirus pandemic, okay? And that's because everything has changed. That's what nobody seems to like be taking into account. Viewing habits changed like that, overnight. Overnight, the entire ecosphere changed. And now you have so many more people stuck in their homes that we don't know how long it's going to be. They're starting to open things back up. But again, this is going to go in waves. And so if we all, you know, are all stuck in our homes again in in September and in October, and then again next spring in April and May or something, you know, whatever it is, like there's just so much more demand for streamer content. So when, you know, HBO Max has, has, you know, they don't have, they don't have anything. They just have Warner Brothers vault, really. Even like the original movies that it has, like Super Intelligence and Steven Soderbergh's Let Them All Talk, these movies should have been ready for next week. Why aren't they? I don't know what HBO Max is doing. Like, you know, half the HBO Max headlines we've read about have been about an unscripted Friends reunion. So they needed something. They needed something to get them eyeballs. And and the Snyder Cut movement is definitely fewer people than we think, but it's a very vocal minority. They make a lot of noise. There's a lot of publicity. You know, these are the people who drive clicks online, which is why online covers it as much as it does. Like, all these things go hand in hand. So, before, you know, when there was no HBO Max, when there was no streaming service, no, it was never coming out. Warner Brothers would never give him the money to finish this. They would never put it in theaters. But when you have something like HBO Max, a streaming service where you can experiment with all kinds of different stuff, and like a 20 to $30 million investment is a drop in the bucket for them. It's nothing. I mean, they would have wasted that on, on you know, a series that would have gotten a fraction of the buzz. You know, just look at some of the other series that, uh, you know, that, that Apple Plus is making or whatever. I'm sure they're spending $20, $30 million on, on those shows, and they have no cultural footprint. So, you know, it makes sense for HBO Max. It's a smart move. But I do love, like, all the executives and, and the beauty quotes that were in the release. Like, when Zach came to us and pitched us his vision, it's like, what? what? Like, this guy was getting fired. Like, this was – this movie – did not go well. This was go, go before the suicide, you know, uh, before his daughter committed suicide. Like things were not going well. He was uh, on his way towards getting fired. Uh, Batman vs Superman was terrible. Okay, like, I, and I and I like Zack Snyder. I am a big Watchmen fan. Uh, I like Dawn of the Dead. Like I have nothing against the guy at all. I, I think he's talented. He has his own sort of. Uh, you know, aesthetic. Um, but yeah, he, he seems like a really nice guy. So I'm glad that he's going to be given the funds to complete his vision. Do I think that this is a good thing? No. I don't think that if you're a, a, a multi-billion dollar corporation like Warner Brothers or whatever, first of all, you can't have fans making demands. You You can't acquiesce to those demands. I mean, you can help it you can have it like help you guide a programming decision. Sure. I mean, that's just listening to your audience, but I don't want to call the Snyder cut people bullies. I'm like, they bullied Warner brothers into it. This is all about dollars. 
as with everything in Hollywood. If Hollywood thinks that they can make a buck off of it, and we're going to get to plenty of that later in the show today, if Hollywood thinks it can turn a profit, of course it's going to do it. And now that HBO Max, you know, now that there's HBO Max, it, there's, a, there's a way for it to make a profit. But, you know, every filmmaker who's ever made money for Warner Brothers, or really any studio, they can now go to them and not necessarily demand a director's cut. I'm not saying that Zack Snyder was demanding a director's cut. If, if the fan demand is there, then maybe. But it's just like, when I pay money to see a movie, like, that's the story. You know, I want to see, these are the decisions that, that the filmmaker, that the studio, that everybody made. This is the version of the movie. This is the definitive version that was released in theaters. I know that, you know, people are bringing, about, uh, bringing up Ridley Scott and Blade Runner and Kingdom of Heaven. And, and you know, there are certain guys... Tinkerers. There's certain filmmakers who love to tinker. George Lucas has done a lot of tinkering. I feel like even Spielberg does sometimes. Sometimes it's just these are the guys in position to tinker. They are allowed to, you know, go back. But I just I think it's opening a weird can of worms when when you have well you know there's this version and there's this version and then there's this, this version. Like there could be infinite versions and there are infinite cuts. And and, and that's what I love about movies is that you're seeing everyone's final decisions. So I, I don't know if I like going back to the, the, the work in progress playbook and seeing what could have been. I, I don't think it's fair to Joss Whedon. I mean, honestly, t- 20 to 30 million, that's not all like, he's going to have to do a lot of like, reshoots. He's going to have to get the cast back together. If you're Ben Affleck, why are you even agreeing to like put the, the, the cowl back on? Like that's not good for you, I don't think. Maybe he feels like he owes it to Zach to, to help him see his original vision through. But, and I get why someone like, you know, Gal Gadot, uh, who's Wonder Woman and Ezra Miller, who's, you know, tentatively still supposed to be the Flash. Like, I get why they would want to come back. But if you're Ben Affleck, this is in the past. Like, there's some corporate decision made that we're now going to release this on the streaming service next year. So you have to go back. Like, you fulfilled your contract. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to me. Um... Uh, you know, my sources tell me. Half the people who claim that they have sources don't have sources. And if they do have sources, they have a source. Okay? Like, uh, half the stuff where it's like sources tell me, the sources don't tell you anything because the source is a document. It's a piece of paper that you've managed to get your hands on. And it can't speak. So... uh, Listen, there's a zillion people out there representing themselves as reporters who have sources, but I'm t- half of them are bullshit, okay? You can't believe everything you read. Uh, I thought Drew Taylor, who is Collider's newest hire, congratulations to Drew, always like doing movie talk with him. Uh, we brought him on staff, and he wrote a really interesting story about how it's a dangerous, it sets a dangerous precedent, and, and I agree with him, although it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a dangerous precedent in a couple of different ways, uh, you know, which which I talked about earlier. I just, um, I mean, listen, I'm I'm going to see this thing. But when you say that, oh, it's it's ready to be released, they don't even know what it is. Is it a movie or is it a miniseries? They could do it as a four hour film, which seems like a lot. Was he planning on making a four hour movie? I mean, I, I guess he was initially because it was supposed to be two movies. It was supposed to be Justice League Part One and Justice League Part Two. And then Batman vs. Superman came out, and they're like, oh, my God, what the hell are we doing? Let's make this one movie. So now you're telling me that movie's going to be four hours. Or it's going to be a, a six-hour miniseries or something like that. Like, you can't tell me that this was, like, a defined 
thing. It was just this ball of mush. It was this ball of snow that they had to mold and build into something, and they needed tens of millions of dollars in order to do that. I mean, I read that Whedon wrote 80 additional pages for his Justice League. So, like, clearly they're, you know, they're two very different things. Um, You know, Joss, I feel like, is more like a a lighter, like, got to have that quip in there sort of person. And and Zach is a little bit darker. And and frankly, those are the stories that I gravitate to. Again, I, I don't think his Watchmen was like a masterpiece or anything, but I really liked it. So, uh, yeah, you know, Zack Snyder, he's hit and miss in my book. Um, he's got Army of the Dead coming up. And it's like, I, I've spoken to people who worked on Army of the Dead, and he would, he's shown people who worked on that movie the Snyder cut, you know, the, the unfinished footage or assemblage of scenes or whatever. So, like, I knew that there was something. I think it all really goes back to your definition of the word cut, you know, like, is is it a cut or is it just a bunch of scenes that he shot before leaving, you know? Um, And yeah, speaking of army of the dead, that'll be an interesting one to to see what happens to that. I guess that's coming out in 2021. I thought that was going to be all ready for for 2020, but uh, it's not that Netflix needs it. Um, They're the only one pumping stuff out. Is there anything else I want to say about the Snyder cut? Not really. I mean, I'm not the person I don't know that everything like the way that so many other people online do. I'm just coming in, to, you know, trying to give you like a, a an industry perspective on this thing. Like, it's only because there's a streaming service now. That streaming service needs product, and not only that, but now people are glued to streaming services because they're all stuck in their homes. So everything has changed. Like in the last few months, everything has changed. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that. We'll see. See if there's more time. Um, MGM, MGM's kind of on a roll lately, man. I just I, re- I just read that they were in in the uh, the bidding for this uh, real Lord of the Flies project, which sounds super interesting. Uh, they didn't end up getting it and landed at New Regency, but MGM, you know, they brought in Michael DeLuca a while back, not too long ago. They got rid of uh, Jonathan Glickman, who you know I think is is a really good producer he's going to do a good job for them uh, over there because i think he has some kind of uh, deal with them but deluca you know i've been fortunate enough to be in this guy's office huge respect for deluca he was running you know new line in his like late 20s he was making shit like boogie nights and magnolia like deluca is a very special executive and he's got balls he doesn't just talk like if you give him the opportunity he will put a slate together. And that's what he's been doing. He got Lady Gaga to do the Gucci movie. He got, he just signed a first look deal with Christine Bichon's killer films. And like, listen, killer films, they don't make blockbusters that are going to gross zillions of dollars, but they make good movies. And even if I don't always think that they're good, other people do like, you know, those movies are going to be for somebody. You know, I think that they did, I think that they were involved in Zola and Zola was not for me, but I can recognize you know, the artistry in Zola and, and how that might appeal to a lot of people. Um, they got Lord and Miller to direct this Ryan Gosling astronaut movie. Uh, and that's a huge coup. I mean, Lord and Miller, Miller, they were going to do, you know, the solo movie that didn't work out. Now they're going back to space and they've got Ryan Gosling. And from what I understand, this is a more, it's not, it's not necessarily a big, like, dramatic hero saves the world thing. It's a little bit more comedic. 
Uh, and so, you know, Lord Miller's obviously they're, they're a great for, fit for that kind of thing. And I like Ryan Gosling. I think he can be, um, I think he can be really funny in, in a sort of droll deadpan kind of way. Um, what's interesting about this though, is that Lord Miller just signed a hugely lucrative first look deal for movies with universal. And so MGM, and so like basically they were like, Oh, you know, this, this project, this Andy Weir book really uh, speaks to us. We'd love to work with, with Rye guy, with Rye Goss. Um, but we just signed this huge deal with universal. So we got to make sure it's cool with them if we do this. And so DeLuca obviously goes way back with Donna Langley at universal. And they were able to come to some sort of agreement where she basically loaned uh, Lord, Lord and Miller to MGM. Um, and maybe that's because, you know, Universal doesn't have anything lined up ready to go for them right now. Uh, I mean, listen, this is a business all about keeping talent happy. So even though it's not necessarily in their best interest, Universal, to let Lord and Miller be making MGM movies, ultimately you want to keep these guys happy. That, 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 that's half of Hollywood. So you let them go do what they want. I'm just saying MGM which was a studio that, you know, at one point was basically left for dead. Uh, and, you know, they really didn't have much going. All it takes is, you know, a strong executive with vision and, and, and a board that is willing to support that vision. And so I think it's great that MGM is out there getting in the middle of these bidding wars, you know, elbowing a seat at the, at the table for itself because it, it kind of got pushed to, like, the kitty table a while back. Um... Yeah, I like it. I like it, Deluca. Keep it up. Michael Bay sets up has set up two new projects. One is a pandemic thriller called Songbird that's going to be shooting in five weeks. It's been compared to Cloverfield to the paranormal, uh, paranormal Activity movies. I don't know, you know, if this is going to be presented like those films, like a found footage movie. It sounds interesting enough. I don't know if if they're going to have a, a you know a, a cast of largely unknowns like Cloverfield did, or if they're going to try to work a movie star into this. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like pandemic type content because that's what you can shoot, and, and the streets are empty, and like you know, I, I get that, but I don't want to see like a, a year or two full of like Zoom movies. I, I'm I, I predicted on another podcast uh, on an earlier episode like I think this is actually going to be a really beneficial time for Hollywood it's going to force people to get you know in touch with their uh, inner creative again and use their imaginations but so so, so there, and there will be those projects but there's also going to be those that are just like craving like we got to do something with this right now uh you know let's, let's use what we got and, and just you know t- toss off something cheap and, and maybe not that all that interesting so I'm not saying that's what Songbird is I haven't read the script I'm just, I'm not familiar with the filmmakers. Um, Michael Bay, I'd say, has a mixed track record as a producer. But, hey, it's, it's good, good for him that he's throwing his weight back into producing because he can help get movies made. Uh, I don't know what he's actually, I don't know, do we know what he's directing next? I, I have no idea. Six Underground was horrible. Like, that was atrocious. Um, but it's funny. It's like, right now, Bad Boys for Life is the biggest movie of the year. It's the highest grossing film of the year. That movie doesn't exist without Michael Bay. So he's, even though he didn't direct that, he's still got his fingerprints uh, all over it. The other movie that he's doing is this action thriller cartel. uh, I'm sorry, it's called Armored and it's set in Mexico's cartel country. And it's basically about this convoy of like UN diplomats being led through this really dangerous area 
And of course, something happens and, you know, they got to sort of duke their way uh, out of it. That sounds a little like Sicario-ish to me. Um, and I love both Sicario movies, even though the second one wasn't nearly as popular. I thought that they were both really good. I actually watched Sicario, the original, uh, a week or two ago. And God, it's just so great. So great. So, you know, is, is he going to go make the Hollywood movie, uh, the Hollywood version of that? Or is he looking to do something a little bit grittier with this, uh, this movie, Armored? I don't love the title. Sounds very generic. It sounds like a, an old, you know, like I guess it was. I think it was a, an old Screen Gems movie uh, from a decade ago or so. Maybe they came up with something a little bit better for that. Sony um, also doing a lot of moves in the, in the SPUMC. The Spumco. The, the Spumk. Jesus Christ. Every time I say that, I'm like, what? Are you doing, Sony? Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel characters. So they, anyways, they got S.J. Clarkson to do a female-led Marvel movie. There is some debate about what it actually is. Is it, is it a Madam Web movie? Because Variety's report said that there's no writer attached yet. And I remember last fall, I did a story about uh, Sharp, Bert Sharpless and, and Matt Sazama doing, writing the, Matt, the Madam Web movie, which I confirmed. I mean... Is it possible? I, I, Justin, you know, sort of was was hinting that maybe I got things mixed up on that story, but I don't think so. I mean, I, I definitely had that very well confirmed and, and airtight. Um, he was sort of wondering if Sazama and Sharpless are, wonder, are, are doing a Spider-Woman movie. Uh, and I have heard rumors of a Spider-Woman movie uh, involving Jessica Drew um is it possible that those guys are, are have been hired to write that too i guess uh i just i'm just not sure if like that project that i reported on last fall is one in the same as this madam web movie it's not like curl came out and said that sj clarkson is directing a madam web movie there was some wiggle room in there and now i don't know you know who justin's been talking to or whatever but let me tell you this whether it's madam web or spider woman i don't really care <laughs> Jackpot. This is another one that uh, that got announced this week from uh, with Mark Guggenheim writing the script. I don't care. I don't care about any of these characters. Will I see them? Maybe if they look okay. Like you know, I ended up seeing Venom. I probably will go see the sequel. I'll probably end up seeing uh, Morbius. Um, but and so yeah, if they if they got apparently they're looking at Charlotte or not looking at them necessarily, but the prototype for casting for for this potential Madam Web movie, if that's what it is, is uh, Amy Adams and Charlize Theron. Now, if they got one of those two, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. But, like, on the surface, am I interested in a Madam Web, Spider-Woman, Jackpot movie, movies? No, not at all. And I think that Sony is going to learn a harsh lesson down the line eventually. Like, Venom is a different case. You know, I knew who Venom was. Venom was introduced in Spider-Man 3. He's a completely different type of uh, character. Um, and they got Tom, Tom Hardy, but eventually some of these comic book movies are going to fail. They're going to flop. There are going to be many, many more Jonah hexes. And if I, you know, if Sony's not careful, they're going to end up making them because they just don't, they just don't have like jackpot. What? It's about what a, a mom. I, I just, 
I'm more interested in David Robert Mitchell's new superhero movie, Heroes and Villains, which is described as a unique take on, on superheroes and a genre bender, a genre blender. I'm, I'm of mixed opinion on, on David Robert Mitchell. I liked it, follows. I didn't love it like a lot of people, but it was, it, it was good. It had style. It was definitely one of the bigger recent you know, horror hits. Under the Silver Lake was a disaster. Uh, and right, and, and right, that this is part of the MGM thing because MGM got this one. Mike DeLuca produced Under the Silver Lake. I should have had this under the, the whole MGM bit, but put it under the superhero bit. Uh, yeah, Under the Silver Lake was ambitious, and I liked what he was going for, but it wasn't all there on the page. It felt very much to me like Richard Kelly's Southland Tales, like it's just an ambitious, albeit noble, failure. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I'm mixed on David Robert Mitchell, but I am more excited to see what he does with a superhero movie than any of these uh, Sony Pictures, you know, JV team. This is, let's just face it, this is the JV team. You know, they've got Spider-Man. I know there's a zillion other characters connected to Spider-Man. I really think that they should focus their, their resources on Sin- a Sinister Six movie or Craven the Hunter. Like, those are character. Craven is a character that I've never read a Craven comic or any comic, any Spider-Man comic with Craven in it, really. But at least I'm familiar with Craven Hunter. I've heard of him over the years. Jackpot, I'm sorry. Doesn't do it for me. Um, in other comic book movie news, Ruby Rhodes exiting Batwoman. Whoa, big shakeup on that one. Did we ever find out why? I feel like I have an open variety tab about why. Variety, why Batwoman left. Let's see. Stem from an ill fit between star and production. According to multiple sources, Rose was unhappy with the long average required of her as the series lead, which led to friction on set. I mean, that, that's basically what I said in my uh, story, um, which is, you know, it's just sort of hypothesizing. Like, the uh, CW shows aren't for everybody. They are long hours, and, and they are tough shoots. And, and when you're a little bit younger, you're, you know, 17, 18, like most of the leads on CW shows are, maybe you're more gung-ho to be there. Ruby Rose was probably just looking around like, what the hell am I, am I doing here? Um, I don't think that people really necessarily responded to her as the character. I've never seen a single episode. Um, you know, so she, I'm sure she had some fans. Every, every actor does. But I think in general, from what I've seen from, from Ruby Rose on screen, I don't think she's like a great actress. So maybe they wanted to do something a little bit more with that character that was just outside of her range. I don't know if, if it was fan response or feedback that they were getting, or if the executives felt the same way where they're just like, listen, this isn't working. Let's just cut our losses. I don't know if, you know, the care, if it'll be Katie Keene, I guess is, is who she plays on the show, or if it'll be a different character who is Batwoman. I don't care. I never watched the CW. I don't watch any of these uh, shows. What I just thought was interesting. And I know people have thrown it back in my face and said, you know, this, this is not true. Not the reason, whatever. I promise you this is going to be the case in, in, for some. So, so there, was, there was her. There was Skeet Elrich leaving Riverdale. You got Nick Holt pulling out of Mission Impossible. People are talking about scheduling conflicts and all kinds of stuff. And maybe that's true. Maybe on these three cases, like Pearl said, uh, Skeet Elrich left Riverdale months ago. The pandemic's going have been going on for months, too. I predict... And it's the same way that I, you know, sort of said 
when, when movies and, and TV do come back, there's going to be fewer people on set and it's going to be shot like a nude scene, essentially. I, I think I saw a producer use that exact same like line this week in a story. I feel like I've been very correct in my, this is how the pandemic is going to affect Hollywood and, and uh, that kind of thing predictions. I think my Nostradamus ball is pretty good. So I really think that you're going to see a lot of people refuse to come back to work pull out of shows, pull out of uh, films, because there is no reason for them to go back to work. There, I mean, you can see, you can see how, you know, network, like you've got Lionsgate guy, uh, you know, the head of Lionsgate being like, I'm bullish on audiences returning to theaters. I am pretty convinced that they will. And we're going to plan for it like they are. Yeah, you are in the process, like you're in the business of making movies. Of course, you have to be bullish to reassure audiences, like, it's okay to, to go back to theaters. Of course, if you're Jeff Wells, you're saying, the Oscars must go on. The show has to go on. It's because all you are relying on it for your money. If there's no Oscars, then there's no Oscar ads, and Jeff Wells goes broke, and you see him working at uh, a Whole Foods. Like, <laughs> these people have, they're invested in these outcomes, but when you're a millionaire, when you're a millionaire actor, right, and you have really all the money that you could need for a lifetime, I mean, obviously everybody wants more money, but maybe there are people <laughs> who are like, you know what, I'm set, or I can afford to take a year off from the business and wait this pandemic out. Why would they go back to work? Why? If you're Ruby Rose and you're a millionaire or Nicole or whoever, and I'm not even saying that this is like what happened, but if you are them, and you have millions of dollars in the bank. Are you in a rush to get to set next Thursday at 6 a.m. Uh, to be surrounded by hundreds of people who you don't know if they've been quarantined? Yeah, they've been tested. Let me tell you something about tests. They don't work. None of the testing work. I mean, it's like a, a, a 40% success rate or accuracy rate for the tests, for antibody tests. Believe me. Stephanie, who I've been living with, she works at a doctor's office. She works at the hospital. She talks to doctors all day long. These things are not reliable, okay? So believe me, the first show that comes back and everybody's tested and everybody tests fine and then people start to get sick, you watch how, how that influences. It's going to be like dominoes. Why would these rich celebrities come out of their bunkers, come out of their enclaves in the Hollywood Hills, it makes no sense, particularly if these are big enough stars who they can afford to take off a year and come back once there's vaccines, once they've seen how, you know, Hollywood is, is, is doing with this thing. Like, I wouldn't want to be first. Again, if, 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 if theaters opened up and, and Tenet was playing tomorrow, I'm not going. I'm going to wait a while and see how it plays out. And I'm telling you, movie stars and TV stars are going to do the exact same thing, whether that was the case here or not. People are not in a, like, people who live paycheck to paycheck are in a rush to, to return to work because they can't pay their bills. But if you're a millionaire, what is the point? There's nothing in it for you. It's just risk. You're not getting paid more to assume that risk. And it's just, it's just that's just common sense. That's logic. I don't need to hear that from a source to know that, like, that's how human beings are. 
So yeah, it's you know the the Oscars. The Oscars may be delayed. Variety had a story this week, and everybody shit on this story. I picked it up really quickly because if Variety is saying something, you know, then it's probably legit. Having having spent having done two tours of, of duty there. Um, but yeah, it went to Mark, Mark Malkin broke the story and Mark Malkin is not a breaking news guy. He is not even a guy like a Chris Tapley or Scott Feinberg who are, who's really plugged into the award season. He just, he's a gossip reporter who became Variety's Oscar guy because he's well-liked on red carpets. I like Mark Malkin and I, and I respect his reporting. Like, you know, I have nothing uh, bad to say against, about the guy. David Poland went off on him. It was basically just like he's being used. He's he's shilling, you know, for the academy essentially, or, or if not the academy, you know, sources within the academy. It's just like they put him up to it, that kind of thing. They could, they found a writer who was willing to 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 write the story without asking the questions. I think it's totally possible that the Oscars will be delayed, if only to allow more time for these awards movies to come out because they can't all come out on top of each other. It's not just like, it's not like everyone's just trying to qualify and get in under the deadline so they can drop a hundred movies on December 31st and now they're all qualified and we can give them Oscars. The whole point of releasing a movie is to make money. This is still a business. So it's like, you can't have films on top of each other. They have to be spaced out. And obviously, you know, there may not be movies until possibly Thanksgiving. I mean, that that's what I'm starting to read and hear that, that uh, you know, I forget who it was, if it was Wells or Tapley or somebody, but they sort of said that some, you know, top awards season strategist just hypothesized, like, theaters are not, people will not return to theaters until Thanksgiving. And so if that's the case, then you have essentially the Thanksgiving corridor in December to release all your awards movies. That's not going to fly. So the Academy may have to push back its qualifying deadline from December 31st to end of January, end of February, and the Oscars may not be held until end of March, mid-April. And that's how it used to be. So I actually believe the, the likely-to-be-delayed line. If it were up to me, I would punch on 2020. If I was a studio, I wouldn't release, I wouldn't release movies in 2020 because even though theaters may reopen, they're not going to be reopening to the same business that they were before. I, again, this is just common sense. I know we're all desperate to get out of the house. We, we can't wait to, to get to the theater. But it's, it's like Matt Bellamy tweeted. Like, you went from, I'm dying to see Tenet, to, would I die to see Tenet? Uh, no, it's, no movie is going to be worth it, Tenet included. <sighs> so I would just punt on 2020. And even if you like, because otherwise you're just, it's just the Netflix awards. They're the only, like they're the only company releasing stuff. It's them and vertical entertainment and, and gravitas uh, ventures and, you know, the VOD distributors. So it's all about, or it's like, are the Oscars just to award movies in a given year and whatever movies come out in that given year, whether it's 400 movies or 20 movies, those are the movies we're, we're rewarding and, you know, there'll, there'll always be an asterisk under this year's movies. Or do you just punt it and, and say, you know what? We're going to do a, cere- uh, a ceremony in 2022 celebrating the 2020 and 2021 movies. And they're all going to be competing against each other. Like, why are we, why does the Academy 
restrict itself to a calendar year? You know, what does that really mean in the scheme of things? There's no reason why they can't do a ceremony honoring the 2020 and 2021 movies, which for all we know, could be the same number of movies that they would have honored had 2020 gone according to plan. Like, you know, you're, you're trying to choose 10 nominee, 10 best picture nominees out of 400 movies. It's not like it'll necessarily be out of 800 movies because movies aren't being made right now. Um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting with, with Poland shitting on Mark Malgan's report and Jeff Wells being like, they can't move the Oscars. That would be terrible. But it's like that analysis had nothing to do with the Oscars or the industry or the telecast or anything. It was all about Jeff Wells and his, his Oscar ad money, really. Um, yeah. And this, yeah, the same thing goes back to the Lionsgate guy. It's like, you're bullish on people returning to theaters. No shit. What are you supposed to say? You're a, you're a cheerleader at that point. Let's talk Tenet. Uh, second trailer came out last night. Caught up with it uh, as soon as I landed. And listen, this movie looks cool. I like the, the idea that the characters are, are going one way and, you know, time in the story or whatever is going the other way. Uh, it all sounds very heady and very trippy. And you know what? It does feel... I mean, it sounds wholly unique, but at the same time, very familiar. It looks like a movie made by the guy who did Inception. Looks like it could be Inception 2 or a a companion piece to that film. Uh, Yeah, like, listen, again, it looks cool. You're not, you have to think, you're not shooting the bullet, you're catching it. Whoa, man. I'm I'm stoked for this, but I think that Warner Brothers basically gave itself up. Uh, and, and when it said coming to theaters, when they didn't put July 17th on it, I told you. I told you. Even if they were delayed a week or two, I knew this movie was not going to make its original release date. And frankly, what is a week or two even going to do? Why push it there? If you're going to push it, push it. Push it at least a month to the Wonder Woman slot and then push Wonder Woman. I, I just... Anyways, they, they, they debut this thing in Fortnite, which is, you know, where all the kids are hanging out these days. Um, I love how Rob Pattons is just, like, blatantly playing Chris Nolan. I love that this guy has to have, you know, some, some actor uh, playing a version of him. Uh, John David Washington, I'm a little nervous. I am a little nervous. I like him. I liked him on Ballers. I don't know if this is a little bit too big for him. Starting to get that vibe. Just starting to get that, like, because Jeff Wells always called him, like, dead-eyed. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's like you hear Denzel, he sounds just like his father, but that gravitas, that charisma, I don't know if it is there. I don't know if that is going to prove to be a fatal casting choice. Um, yeah. Tenet watch. Tenet I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know when it comes out. I just don't think it comes out July 17th. And I think that Warner Brothers basically acknowledged that in, in, in its uh, new trailer. Do we, did we find anything else out? Uh, I mean, I don't even think he has, not David Washington. I don't think he even has a name in this, does he? Or is he just called the protagonist? Is that just what they're, what they're calling him? Um, I just think it's cool seeing like Martin Donovan, who's one of my favorite character actors in this thing. 
Uh, blah, blah, blah. Tenant watch. Okay. Broke some news earlier this week that uh, Adam Sandler and LeBron James are teaming up to do Hustle with Jeremiah Zagar. This is something that I've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, Sandler has been circling this thing since October. Now, at the time, the NBA was, you know, involved in all this China drama uh, because, you know, Daryl Morey, the GM of the Rockets, sort of, you know, he made some controversial comments from China's point of view about China. And then LeBron came in to sort of take take a shit on Daryl and be like, I think he's talking from a place of ignorance and he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And it's like, like that was weird for, for LeBron. And I'm convinced that he was just doing it to protect his business interests in China. All along, he knew he was, you know, planning on shooting this movie Hustle in China, which is about an American basketball scout that washed up down on his luck, who goes to China, discovers the streetball venom, decides to take him back to L.A. to, to, to prep him for the draft. Um, in, the, uh, in, in the announcement this week about Hustle, China was gone. You know, so I, I don't know if, if those relations have cooled and, and China doesn't want anything to do with the NBA or, or you know, LeBron James or whatever. Uh, I, I really like that idea. I don't want to see Adam Sandler go to Africa, uh, like, like the air up there, like that Kevin Bacon movie. I don't want to, you know, like find, find me somebody else. Go to Puerto Rico, go to Brazil, uh, friggin' go to Croatia or whatever. Um, but yeah, I really, I really like the idea of China. I think it's a bummer uh, that, that it seems like that that's not going to work out. I think this is a good role for Sandler. He's a huge basketball fan, big Knicks fan. Um, and Jer- Jeremiah Zager, a great, like I loved We the Animals. If you haven't seen We the Animals, check, uh, track down that 2018 indie. It was very, very good. It doesn't seem like he's the right guy for this, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not familiar with, with the rest of Jeremiah's work. It just doesn't seem like you go from We the Animals to making an Adam Sandler movie, although I don't think this is a Adam Sandler movie, you know, like, like, like we all uh, know. Um, so, right, Netflix is doing that. Netflix is doing a, a Jessica Alba action movie called Trigger Warning, which seems, you know, was ordered kind of right in the immediate wake of uh, Extraction Success. Netflix has sort of become the place for these... I don't want to say direct-to-video type action movies, but they are definitely catering to the action audience. I think you can tell that much. Like, you know, the same thing that they did with romantic comedies, which was sort of a a genre that the studios had given up on, and then Netflix had, you know, real success making a whole bunch of romantic comedies and appealing to young female audiences. Now they're going after uh, this male audience with these, these really macho... Um, action movies. I think you could even call Spencer Confidential one of those with, with uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg. Bright is a, is a little bit of a, a different case. Um, but anyways, I, I think you're going to be seeing more and more of these types of action movies. Like, remember that uh, Dave Batista movie, Final Score, where he's, like, in a soccer stadium with his, with his daughter? Like, that was a direct-to-DVD thing. That's the sort of thing I think Netflix is going to uh, be churning out. With with big and big uh, bigger and bigger stars, the way that they got Chris Hemsworth, like look at how that worked out for them. It's their biggest movie ever. Um, Michael B. Jordan doing this old Tom Cruise project, Methuselah. He's been attached to that for a while. Who did they get to direct? What was the actual news on Methuselah? I'm totally blanking. Methuselah. Uh, I don't even know. All right, Danny Boyle. It was that was it. It was the news was Danny Boyle, and it's like 
so I think what they are thinking in terms of this project, this, this is not just like about an, an old man. This is about a guy who's survived for a thousand of years, uh, a thousands of years or a thousand years, and has come up with, you know, some pretty cool survival skills. So what I'm envisioning is some sort of survival thriller, an action type movie. Maybe this is sort of Danny Boyle's way of getting, working out those Bond demons. He was supposed to do the, the, the James Bond movie. He left due to creative differences. Because you can't, there's no room for experimentation with James Bond. You've got to give the people what they want on that franchise. Methuselah, Warner Brothers apparently sees this as a franchise. Michael B. Jordan as good as anybody to start a franchise with. I like the idea of him working with Danny Boyle. You know, I I don't like the title, Methuselah. Um, That doesn't sound particularly exciting, but I can see Danny Boyle cracking this one, figuring out, figuring out an interesting way into the story. And Michael B. Jordan is obviously a really solid uh, lead. So we'll see how that one comes together. Um, there was a diverse remake of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Sure. I mean, I love Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. It seems like a movie very much of its time. Uh, although it's exactly the type of movie you could reinvent and, and get away with. You know, because it's not this unimpeachable classic. I mean, it is to me, but others others likely disagree. Um, so I'll be looking forward to that one, seeing who they they cast in it. Because uh, Sue Ellen, that, that, that's a big role. Um, Netflix, canceling inactive accounts. Good for them. I hate that when you've like signed up for something and then you don't use it. And years later, you, you look at your, your bank statement, you're like, holy shit, I've been paying for this for six years? I think I did that with health insurance at one point. I was paying for health insurance. I got it through work. And it's like, how much money did I spend on health insurance the last three or four years? I didn't even freaking realize. So I'm glad that Netflix is going in there being like, listen, if you haven't watched anything in a year or two, we're just going to cancel your account. What are you still paying for this for? Uh, you don't really see companies do that too often, but I like it. And so I, it'll be interesting to see whether their subscriber count dips next quarter. Saw a couple new trailers this week, The Old Guard and The Last Days of American Crime, both Netflix movies, again, filling that action-y void. Uh, with with uh, The Last Days of American Crime, Edgar Ramirez stars, and yet it was Michael Pitt who stole the trailer. This is a, a movie that's set in the future, where the government uh, basically puts out this signal, and the signal prevents you from committing a crime, from from breaking the law. You, you know, we know right from wrong, right? When you commit a crime, unless you're insane. I wonder how that would work. I wonder if that's a little loophole in this, that the insane can actually commit crimes because they don't know what's a crime and what's not. They don't know right from wrong. Um, but so, yeah, this is about, you know, the, the, this interesting little heist crew that is going to pull off one last job before crime is outlawed in America. You've got Edgar Ramirez, Anna Brewster, uh, Charlotte Copley, and, uh, and Michael Pitt, who looks awesome. Like he, I like his whole character design. He's got this long hair, tattoos. I dig it. I'm looking forward to that, uh, to that one. And then, um, right, The Old Guard. That one, you know, it, it intrigued me. It's not the sort of movie I'd typically be super excited for, but I also like the idea of these warriors fighting in all these different time periods because they've been a lot, you know, been around for thousands of years and they're eternal or whatever. I don't know how, how differently the Eternals is going to end up being. Um, Charlize Theron, I think uh, Matthias Schoenarts is in this one. Like, it has an interesting 
ensemble cast of international actors. And yeah, like in, in lieu of there not being any big summer movies, like this is a movie I'm looking forward to. Last Days of American Crime. These are movies that now become a little bit more eventized because there's nothing else. There's no competition. Uh, Isa Lopez directing a Blumhouse movie. I need to see her movie Tigers Are Not Afraid. I've seen, I've heard enough good things about that. It's time for me to just man up and, and check that one out. We got new images from Josh Boone's The Stand. I think that, those were in Vanity Fair. Uh, I'm really looking forward to The Stand. It It's also about a, a pandemic that it is much deadlier, obviously. It wipes out uh, most of the human race. I loved The Stand miniseries as a kid, even though I probably barely understood what the hell I was watching. I was probably 10 or 11 years old when it came out. Uh, I, I dig the cast Boone has assembled here. Sign me up. Like, this could not be coming at, at a more perfect time. Um, Peter Dinklage and Jason Momoa doing a... a Van Helsing movie, The Good, good, Bad, and, and Undead, where I think Peter Dinklage is going to be playing Van Helsing. That's kind of, uh, that's kind of cool. I, I like the, the big and little vibe. I wish those guys were making like a twins movie or something. Um, but yeah, it's, that sounds fun. Uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. Steven Soderbergh writing, or I think he's finished writing a sequel. It sounds like that movie could actually happen. I mean, you can never say never when it comes to Soderbergh because he's so... Uh, you know, he's such an ingenue. He's just so creative. He can make anything happen. Um, I think I saw Sex, Lies, and Videotape when I was like a teenager. I was probably too young for it. I should probably revisit that one as well. It was obviously one of the biggest, you know, like, like paved the way for indie movies back at, at Sundance, I think in the, the late 80s or early 90s. I forget which year it actually was, 89 or 90, 91. But, um, he's been talking about this for like 15 years that, he, that this thing has been in the works now that it's finally done. Uh, and all these stars are, are pretty much still around and, and, and still doing really strong work. So, like, Sex Lies, like, Sex Lies and Videotape, there's a lot more that you could say about that in the year 2020. Um, some interesting, like, Pixar defections. I mean, like, you know, Andrew Stanton is doing this movie, Chairman Space, uh, who who was it? Right, Josh Cooley, the the Toy Story four director, is doing this project Malamander, like Pixar, and they've already lost John Lasseter, and, and good riddance to him. That guy was a scumbag. But it's like they're they're bleeding a lot of talent over there. And I think that they really need to sort of these are a lot of smart people. Maybe they resent sort of being part of the Pixar team, part of part of the brain trust, and they want to you know get their own names out there a little bit more. And, and also just do something, do some things outside of animation or whatever. But I don't know. It just seems like Pixar is really losing a lot of talent lately. And, and these guys are in high demand all over. Like if you've put, put, spent time in, in the uh, Pixar trenches, like every, every other animation studio is going to jump uh, at the, sorry, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. Jump to work with you. I love that there was no mention of John Carter though in, in deadlines, Andrew Stanton, article i did see that in uh, richard rushfield's newsletter the Ankler, which you should all be subscribing to i mean listen as, as a trade reporter we get to pick and choose which which credits we want to highlight and obviously john carter is not a particularly flattering one it's one of the biggest bombs of all time but yeah it just seems like how do you write this story about Andrew Stan without mentioning that movie it, it just seems disingenuous a couple of uh big moves you know away from theaters 
Sony sold its Tom Hanks movie Greyhound, it's a World War II movie, to Apple TV+. Plus. We have no idea when we're going to see it, if Apple TV is going to put this thing out in the middle of summer. It seems like they, they would and, and should. Uh, or I don't know if they're going to wait until later in the year for an awards run, although who even knows if there's going to be an award season this year. You know, that, I think a lot of that really depends on the fall festivals. We still haven't gotten word about uh, Toronto or Venice or any of those things. Apple shelled out $70 million for this Greyhound movie. You know, I've actually, I'd always thought it was sort of like a minor release. It's from, I think it's Aaron Schneider who did Get Low, uh, you know, much bigger in scope than, than that film. Uh, and it's really just Hanks. Like, I don't know how much, if there's like a big co-star or anything. It doesn't have like a big all-star cast, I don't think. So I'd, I'd always sort of thought of it as like this minor Sony movie. And then the trailer came out and I was like, actually, this looks pretty good. Um, I, I was pretty excited for it based on that trailer. But I wonder if, if Sony's just like, yeah, the, these kinds of movies, you're not going to get a Saving Private Ryan Gross on this. Like, you're going to be lucky to make $50 million at the at the box office. And even then, that's with like a wide release marketing campaign. Plus, you got to split that with theater owners. So with Apple coming in offering $70 million, I don't know how much this movie costs, whether it was $30, $40, $50. $50. let us say it was $40 or $50, right? It's a World War II movie. There's effects. you got to pay Tom Hanks' salary. Uh, then, you know, they'd spent a little on marketing, obviously, but not, not too much. Let's say the spend at this point was just $10 or $15. So maybe you're in for, for $55, 60000000 million at this point. If Apple's coming to you with a $70 million check, you take it, right? I mean, as, lo- as long as it's 8 to $10 million more than what it cost, seems like a good deal because otherwise it's probably just going to end up being a money loser for the studio. So unless you think you're going to win an Oscar for it, and again, who knows if there's going to be Oscars this year. Uh, yeah, if, if, you're me- if you're mezzo mezzo on it and the movie's like a two and a half star out of, out of four film, Give it to Apple, and Apple will be delighted to have it too, and they'll put money into it because it's like, hey, we've got Tom Hanks on the service now. The other movie is John Stewart's Irresistible with Steve Carell and Rose Byrne. That was just announced uh, this morning, moving to VOD on June 26th. Again, Universal is certainly out in front in terms of like just put this movie on VOD. You know, Irresistible was never going to to break the bank. It would have been lucky to gross. 20 25 million dollars quite frankly steve carell has not been a big box office guy like universal Arts also put out welcome to marwin so they, so they know that all too well and it's just people are tired of politics and this is a movie about politics in an election year uh, we've, we've got enough of that stuff I, and the trailer did not really look very good either so not surprised that focus is dumping this on vod on june 26th Whew. Timothy Oliphant joining the Mandalorian. That's an interesting story. Really like Oliphant. Again, don't know if he's even going to have lines or if he's just going to be a guy in a mask who takes off his mask. And, oh, my God, it's Timothy Oliphant the whole time. Again, Pedro Pascal maybe spent a day or two on the set of the Mandalorian. You know, that's not him walking around in the suit the whole time. We just we know so much about the Mandalorian. There was a whole convoluted thing, too, about who Timothy Oliphant's playing in here. I don't even care. I don't even care to rehash it. Give me, give me some surprises. The one Star Star Wars thing I can actually support and be a fan of. I, I want to be surprised. I don't need to know everything going in. Uh, Netflix released the first like music video for its Will Ferrell thing, Eurovision. 
with Rachel McAdams. She seems way too, way too good for this kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll uh, surprise. Blumhouse is planning to go into production on, on some movie in just a few weeks. Again, is this actual production production where people are on a set in a soundstage or on location, or are we just talking about production on some zoom movie, you know, that's going to be like unfriended because it's just totally different things. And I love how there's no clarity about that in the announcement. Colin Farrell came out and said, he's got a few tasty scenes in Batman as the penguin. I mean, it got me excited for it, but it basically just confirmed what I'd said all along is that Riddler is going to be the main villain in this movie. There, there are, you know, the, obviously the Penguin is part of it, and there may even be others, but this is the Riddler story. Die Hard 3 celebrated an anniversary this week. I actually watched it. I had a rough week personally and just needed to check out for a couple of hours. And you know what? The, the, the movie worked. I did not think about my problems while I watched uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I would love to see Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson get back together again, whether it's for another installment in that franchise which has totally gone to shit since that film, or whether they just team up on something else. Charlie Hunnam reteaming with Max Winkler on a project called Denali. It's, you know, another, it's a rescue dog movie. How many dog movies do we need? I, I, it's just, we're not getting enough of dogs being stuck in our homes. Channing Tatum's making a movie called Dog. All these dog movies are the same. Can make a dog movie that, that's different, and, and uh, I, I will be there. I'm a big dog lover, but... I feel like these, these movies all follow the same fucking template. Clarice, The Silence of the Lamb Show, will debut mid-season on CBS. I am looking forward to this show, and yet at the same time, dread it with every fiber of my being, because it's on CBS, and God knows the kinds of shows they make. Um, got a new clip from Becky on Collider.com, so check that out. That is the Kevin James Nazi movie. I watched that last week. I'm still embargoed. Can't say too much about it, but what I can tell you as a reporter is that the initial cut of this movie that was submitted to the MPAA came back with an NC-17. NC-17. It is violent. It is gory. It is insane. And if you want a little taste of it, go to Collider.com. Check out the clip from Becky. Um, we also did Michael Mann rankings. Disagreed with this list. Black Hat is the worst thing Michael Mann has done. The worse than Public Enemies. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was an interesting ranking of things. I thought Manhunter was way too low. I love Manhunter. That should be higher. But I think it, it pretty much got the first three right. Uh, Heat Insider and Collateral. It wasn't in those order in that order. You're gonna have to go to the site to check out what the actual order was. But I think that those are probably the three best uh, Michael Mann movies. We also got a trailer this week for Force of Nature, which pits uh, industry pariahs in a sense. Mel Gibson and Emil Hirsch uh, in a movie where like Emil Hirsch is evacuating an apartment building because there's a hurricane and Mel Gibson's like the grumpy old man who's like refusing to leave his home. And then there's like some bad guys who, who are busting into this apartment complex because there's $55 million hidden on the grounds. And so Gibson and Hirsch have to take on the bad guys in the middle of a hurricane. I dig movies like this. I dig Emil and Mel Gibson, even though Mel Gibson's a raging anti-Semite and uh, Emil has had his own problems with the law as outlined in my article. Um, Emil Hirsch, unblock me, by the way. You and Scott Wampler, I'm blocked by the both of you. I don't like it. I don't like the feeling. I like both of you guys. Unblock me. Scott Wampler, someone watching this is listening to this. He fucking tweeted Scott and tell him to unblock me. This is bullshit. 
Um, couple of other things before we wrap up the show. Right, Mission Impossible 7. Nick Holt leaving. He's, he was going to be the villain. He apparently has some sort of scheduling conflict. These movies were are, are months-long shoots. I, I know that they delayed. Uh, I, I don't know. Does he have to go back for season two of The Great or something? I just don't know what the conflict could be. Someone was saying today, I think it was, uh, it was, I think it was either Poland or Tapley. I forget again. I always confuse these guys. I think it was Poland. It was like, did Tom Cruise realize that Nick Holt is better looking and more charismatic, not to mention a whole lot taller, and so they had to get rid of him? What? I mean, Nick Holt looks he looks just like uh, Ed Scrine. Like, he's a good-looking guy, better looking than me. I don't think he's, like, you know, gorgeous or anything. Uh, Tom Cruise still looks fucking great. Like, and, and Nick Holt being more charismatic than Tom Cruise – you fucking insane, David Poland? Get the hell out of here. I don't think that had anything to do with it. Uh, and I like Isai Morales. Isai Morales, by the way, great-looking guy. He's like, uh, I don't know how old he is, maybe 57-year-old Latino. Do I think he's a big enough actor to be playing the, the villain in a Mission Impossible movie? No, not necessarily, but neither was Sean Harris. He was just a really good character actor who's worked beautifully the last couple of movies. Isai Morales is a fucking great-looking dude. I don't think it's about Tom Cruise not wanting to share the spotlight with someone who who's better looking than him. Like, uh, I, again, you're, you're right. Like, I don't understand how Isai Morales is a replacement for Nick Holt unless you've totally, you know, rewritten the script. And maybe they have because Mission Impossible 7 was supposed to be shooting in Italy. Maybe Nick Holt was playing in Italian. Maybe they can't, you know, maybe they, they got to move the action away from Italy. Maybe they're moving it, you know, the... Somewhere else where Isai Morales is a better fit for it. Either way, I'm I'm fine with that swap. It's, it's you know the star power isn't quite the same, but he's a good actor. Isai Morales really loved him in Bad Boys, and I'm talking about the Sean Penn movie. Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish launched a production company this week called Complete Fiction with Neera Park and Rachel Pryor. Uh, they set up three TV projects at Netflix right off the bat. One of them is an adaptation of uh, Lockwood and Co. That was the only project I'd sort of heard. I've seen those books from, uh, from time to time. I haven't read any of them. You know, it seems like it could be a, a hit for, for Netflix. Uh, and I, you know, I really like Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish, although I have to say, well, I'm more of a Joe Cornish guy, to be honest. Uh, and you know what? We're going to wrap up the show with some good news. <laughs> Except it's not. It's, it's, I don't really know what this news is. John Krasinski sold his format, Some Good News, to Viacom CBS. And you should have seen the quotes from John Krasinski and all these executives, how excited they were to get their hands on this. Like, you don't need John Krasinski to be reporting good news. And in fact, John Krasinski is not even going to host the show. So what did you buy exactly? Meanwhile, does everything need to be bought and sold? Like, John Krasinski started this as a very noble, nice thing to do from his house with his daughters or whatever. You know, I didn't even, I didn't watch an episode, to be honest. You know, it went viral. People have really liked it. It's a, it's a ray of light, a ray of hope in an otherwise dark time. Now we gotta, now we gotta fucking make money off of it and, and, and package it and, and, get, and give it to fucking CBS Viacom. Like, you're mad. It's not. It's like you're John Krasinski. You can live off office residuals for the rest of your life. You've, you're married to Emily Blunt, who's a gigantic movie star. What do you need this money for? Why and why does anybody even need to? What is this format without John John Krasinski? 
You, you need him to make it some calls to get more office cameos on there. You, you need a Krasinski cameo in every other episode. Someone did a great piece on Medium today making fun of the whole thing. There's an oral history of it, uh, and I, I laughed my ass off. Like, is it that easy to be a Hollywood executive where you just have to, like, see something like that and go, I like that. I want to buy it, and now I look successful because now we have this property, and I look like I did my job. Like, man, it just must – I'm not saying it's easy to be a Hollywood executive, but it doesn't seem that hard. People could probably say that about my job, too. It doesn't seem that hard to be a movie blogger. Uh, I think that'll do it this week. I think, you know, that was a lot of headlines, guys. A lot of information coming at you. I got to get back to work. I hope you guys enjoy, you know, your summer. I'm going to be here with the fam in Boston. Make sure to send me questions next week. I can't imagine this that the, the next week will be as busy as, as this week was. So we'll bring back a mailbag. I'll answer some questions. Uh, in the meantime, hit me up on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can find me everywhere, but definitely find me on Cameo because that's where I get paid. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can refor- record a fun little message for you, let you know about maybe a rumor or two that I'm hearing. Who knows? It's all uh, up, up. It's all on the table for, with the Snyder Cut. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Make sure to follow my byline at Clyder.com, and we will see you next Friday on... The Snyder Cut. That little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.